Well, two weeks ago, we had our um, celebration Sunday, and uh, people turned in their pledge cards. A lot of people don't go to church every week, so about uh, 240 giving units have turned in cards, so about half the cards have come in. If you haven't gotten to turn one in, would you please fill one out? Because we wanted 100% participation in praying. God, what would you want to do through me? What would you want to do with my resources? And even if, if you just need to put on there, all I can do is pray than to please put in a card. But we uh, received uh, in uh, the First Fruits offering, that's for this year, $2.7 million came in in the First Fruits offering. So that's the most ever on one Sunday uh, that uh, we've collected in one offering. And then uh, in uh, pledges over the next three years is about $5.7 million for a total of 8.4. So that's short of the 20 that we were aiming at. Uh, but I got talking, you know, to one of the experts, and they said, well, why did you even aim at 20? Uh, they said, um, usually you collect about two to three times your annual budget, but our annual budget is about $4 million. So, it, you know, at $8.4 million, that's more than we've ever collected at one time of uh, gifts in our history. It, we have to be pleased, and I am, and uh, we will be able to take big steps forward and we'll be able to break the project into uh, manageable-sized pieces and uh, then to be moving forward. So... Uh, we will be sharing with that with you uh, over the next few months as uh, we head that direction. So thank you. If you haven't got to turn in one of those cards, please get one. There's some in the back. And uh, just uh, let, uh, let your wishes be known on that and uh, be counted in that. So we're in this together and we're wanting to follow the Lord uh, through the process. Okay, so we're looking at um, today, as I thought about what series would we do over Christmas, there's one theme that seems to keep coming out all the way through the Bible, and it's probably something that we need to hear because it talks about how you face the future. I mean, do you face the future with fear or with optimism? And, you know, here you've got uh, turbulence all around the world and uncertainty and terror that's happening, even some of it pretty close to home here, and political turmoil going where, no, we'll be uh, electing a new president uh, next year. And the financial markets don't exactly instill confidence in people. And our city, though, has given us a green light to move forward and uh, to build. And uh, so how do we say we want to be followers of Jesus? We want to be right in step with him. We don't want to be ahead or behind. We want to be right in step with him. And uh, we're called to be the people of God in this place, to share God's word, to, to advance the kingdom of Christ. And what a great time to be alive. And uh, so why not be optimistic about the future? Well, here's why. Here's the best reason. Because God says, I am with you. God says, I am with you. I am with you. It's over and over. It's all the way through the Bible. In fact, he even said, name my son Emmanuel, God with us. And uh, so God says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'm always with you. And you know how when you're with somebody who's big and strong and uh, uh, you can be confident that when you're around them, you will be safe and uh, you will be, uh, you're together in it. Uh, you have a companionship. So this theme, God with us, is found all the way through the Bible. It's found all the way through history. Uh, and it's uh, from the beginning to the end of, of Scripture. And it's what we celebrate at the Christmas season. Emmanuel, God with us. And so last week, Pastor Rob had us looking at uh, Moses and Joshua, who are right at the beginning of the Bible. And today we're going to be looking at, mostly at uh, King David and King Solomon. So 
As you know, we look to the Bible for inspiration because it's our guide for faith and practice. It's how we're going to, uh, it's going to guide our lives. There will things that we will not be able to uh, agree with other people in our world because the scriptures are clear. And uh, so we look to the Bible for inspiration and we're wanting to know more about our God and what he thinks, what would please him, what would concern him, how we live in a way that honors God. And we will never completely figure God out because his ways are past our finding out. But he is consistent in his character, and some things never change. And as we've been studying his word, we see that God loves people very, very much, and he wants to be involved in their lives, and he's close. We also see that God has a plan for this world and for his church, and he wants as many people to be saved from the disastrous results of sin entering the world as possible. And God uses people that he teams up with to do his saving work. And when you hear God's plan and he says, here's what I want to do, it can seem overwhelming, impossible, that it would take you a miracle, that it, in fact, it kind of brings on a crisis for us when we uh, hear God uh, and hear his voice. And God wants people to voluntarily love him and follow him with their whole heart. God delights in being a person's counselor and companion and uh, completing his work through people who never thought they could do it. So you look at Moses. Moses here is hiding out in the wilderness from Pharaoh when God comes and says, go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses is scared spitless. I mean, he's, he's thinking, what do I got to do to get away from this guy? He, you know, he could, uh, you know, and God says, Moses, relax. I am with you. I am sending you. I will be with you. And then God calls on Joshua to lead the people out of the wilderness into the promised land, the land that's filled with goodness and blessing and giants and huge opposition. And the task is overwhelming. And God promises, I am with you. He showed up to Joshua. Joshua thought it was a warrior. And he said, are you with us or against us? And Joshua said, I'm the Lord of the army. And Joshua got on his knees to worship him. So both Moses and Joshua live near the beginning, and we're going to kind of track through, uh, through uh, the history in the Bible to see all the way through God is saying, I am with you. And this week, uh, we're looking at that promise with uh, David and uh, with Solomon. And you know, God's promise, I'm with you, is a game changer. I mean, the situation is different when God is present and when God's on your side and when God's with you. And you don't have to live in fear. I was kidding, telling somebody this story this week because we were with family up in... Uh, my parents live up in Tulare, and so we were up there in Tulare with them. But there were times uh, my parents worked as missionaries in Africa, and they don't have street lights there. And, you know, people, most of them have uh, darker skin, and so you can't see them until they're, uh, you, you know, like if they were in your house. And if you're scared, like as a kid, you know, you're not going to see them. So there were times where my parents would leave, have us walk home in the dark, and I uh, have a younger sister and brother, so I'm supposed to be the big brave one. So I would take charge and send my little brother in first. <laughs> <laughs> that way, if anybody got, uh, you know, hacked with a machete, it we could sacrifice him. And uh, so he would go in the house and stand behind the door and say, yeah, it's clear, come on in, and then not turn on any lights, of course. And then as we come in, well, then he would scare us, and, and, and it was pretty scary. But, you know, when you're with somebody who's big and strong and, and, and uh, is able to defend you, then you don't have to be afraid. And God says that. He says, I am with you. And so... There's this pattern I want to point out in, in the scriptures here. God promises, I'm with you. 
I want to be your counselor. I want to be your companion. And if a person listens to God's voice and responds in uh, repentance and in faith and obedience, God continues to share more and more of himself and to give wise counsel and guidance along the way. And if a person hears God's voice and thinks, well, that's nice, let me think my own thoughts, and chooses to delay in obeying God or just ignores God altogether or just says, I'm going to do it my own way, God kind of seems to withdraw a little bit and say, go ahead, show me how it's going to work. And it seems to kind of back up a little. He doesn't force himself where he's not wanted. He doesn't insist that we listen to him or have a friendship with him. But when God does kind of back out of a situation, well, then there's no guidance from God. There's no blessing from God. There's, there's none of the contentment that, that comes from knowing I am right with God. God begins with each person and offers himself and his plan. I'm with you, and I have something for you to do. You know, you look into the Bible, and we looked at Moses, Joshua. Now we want to look at David and Solomon and see that this theme continues. Now, here David who became king, is the eighth son of a man named Jesse who lived in a little obscure village a long time ago. It was named Bethlehem, and it was about the year 1000 B.C. It's not a location or an occupation that will ever make anybody rich or famous. In fact, the only reason David figures in the story is all, at all is that God showed up and God chose him. And God chose to give David courage and strength and ability and curiosity and creativity and musical talents and linguistic abilities. He had a way with words. And he had a heart that was hungry for God. And David chose to honor God with his whole heart, his whole life. Well, you can make a choice like that sitting here today. It'd be the best decision you ever made to just quietly in prayer to say, God, I, I need you. Come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive my sin. Be my Savior. Be my closest friend and confidant and save me. That's called salvation, and it begins a relationship with God. It's only the beginning of what could be a growing relationship with God himself. When a person listens to God's voice and chooses to put God in charge and to follow God's lead, about any decision that's being made. So David's just a boy. The king at the time was named Saul. And the pattern we've been talking about has been evident in Saul's life as well because Saul had started out well and the people had insisted on a king. And so God sent Samuel the prophet to anoint Saul and he found him. And Samuel was explaining this to King Saul, or Saul, before he became king. It's in 1 Samuel 10. He says, Then the Spirit of the Lord is going to rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Which I think is kind of interesting. When you're filled with the Spirit of God, you're, you're a different person. You're a better person than yourself. And he's going to be turned into somebody else. Well, who was Saul? Saul was chosen because he stood head and shoulders taller than anybody else. This guy was huge, and he also was introverted and unsure of himself. And God says, I'm going to turn you into another man, somebody who's a leader and filled with God's Spirit and listening to God's voice and following God's direction. And Saul started out that way. And he says, now when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Once again, he's promised, God is with you. Then go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I am going coming down to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice peace offerings. Seven days you will wait until I come to you and show you what you shall do. And when you turn back to leave, when he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. 
I think that's interesting. God gave Saul another heart, filled his heart with himself. And so his kingship got off to a good start. There was peace and joy. But if you continue reading the story, it's not long before Saul has forgotten taking time to take time to listen to God's voice or to pray or to wait for God's timing. And finally, he's just kind of off doing his own thing. He's into disobedience. And Samuel shows up and has to chastise him and says, has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination and presumption is an in, as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he's also rejected you from being king. And so... God chose a different person to be king. And instead of somebody who was head and shoulders taller than anybody else and looked the confident part, he chose the eighth son of Jesse in Bethlehem. He sent Samuel to Jesse, and his, he said, Jesse was concerned. And he said, do you come in peace? And the prophet Samuel said, yes, I come in peace. Where are your sons? I need to anoint one of them. And so Saul, uh, uh, Jesse lined up his sons, seven of them, and uh, the first three were in the army. And Samuel looked at him and thought, wow, look at that one. He must be it. And the Bible says, you know, God looks, doesn't look, uh, people look at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. And so after God said, not the first one, not the second, not the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, or seventh, Samuel looked at Jesse and said, do you have any more? And Jesse goes, oh, yeah, there is one more, the little one. He's out tending the sheep, and I forgot all about him. And uh, Samuel says to Jesse, well, send and get him, for we're not going to sit down until he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ready, and he had beautiful eyes and was handsome. I don't know if this was written by a man or a woman, but they're looking at David saying he is, has beautiful eyes, he's handsome, his cheeks are red, and uh, once again, the author is noticing the outward appearance. God's looking at the heart. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he, this is the one. And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. He was filled with the Spirit, and David moved forward with confidence because God was in his heart. He's listening to God's voice. He's communicating with the Lord regularly, and no task is too great or too small, and God mixes them all up. I mean, David continued to tend the sheep for his father, but he also has, becomes the primary music entertainment in the court of the king because he was pretty good on the harp. Then he also becomes the pizza delivery boy for his older brothers who are in the army. And then he steps forward to deliver his nation from the tyranny of their enemies, the Philistines, by killing their champion, Goliath, in a one-on-one. -on -one. That got him a new wife from the king because he had offered his daughter to whoever did the task. And it brought him fame and the envy of every, a lot of people, including King Saul. So then he spent about 15 years running and hiding, living in the desert, living in caves, waiting, listening for God's voice, writing psalms, barely making it by, getting life experience, and finally he became king. He went on to become the greatest king that ever sat on the throne in Israel, and he expanded the country to the largest it ever was. He secured Jerusalem as the capital. He centralized the worship of God in Jerusalem. He wanted to build a great temple there because they were still worshiping in the tabernacle, in a tent. But God said no. So he did the next best thing. He collected all that he could so that the next generation would be able to accomplish the task. God spent time in God's presence listening to God's voice. 
He sought out God's counsel, and he loved God's companionship, and God loved the time with him too. And David wrote many things about his relationship with God. I wrote a bunch of them down, but I know I'm running out of time. And so, you know, David is given credit. There's 150 Psalms in our Bible, and about 73 of them have his name on them, and some of the other ones were probably written by him. So if you just start at the beginning, I mean, I had a quote from Psalm 3, 4, 5, 6, 9, 11, 14, 16, 19, and then get to his most famous one. Why don't you pull that one up, Billy? Psalm 23. Let's read this together, shall we? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Hey, wait, there it is, isn't it? For you are with me. Let's keep reading. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David had this awareness. God is with me always. It gave him confidence. God gave him counsel. Unfortunately, there were times where David just went out and did things on his own. He got himself into sin. Then he tried to lie to cover it. Then innocent people died. And then the prophet Nathan showed up and condemned him on behalf of the Lord. And David's heart was broken. Rather than saying, I'm the king, I can do what I want, he prayed in Psalm 51, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what's evil in your sight, so that you are justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. He goes on later in the psalm to say, Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. You know, David wrote a lot of material for us, and we've hardly scratched the surface, but you can see in his life that he followed after God with his whole heart. And when he got off track, he was willing to humbly take correction and return to God and to ask for forgiveness and to start again. And maybe that's you today. And if so, then you're, it's good news because God says, I love you. I am with you always. Follow me. Follow me some more. Return to me. Give me your whole heart. In fact, that's what Jesus offered us in his, giving his own life that we're going to share in just a moment where he said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. That he is the best example that there is and we're going to celebrate it of giving himself to us. And the best present you can give is to give your heart to God. David followed God with his whole heart. Now, of course, nobody lives forever on this earth. And David's, sooner or later, he ran out of time. And it will happen to you as well. It, happened, it will happen to me. 
So let God be your first counselor, your first companion. Do what God wants first to be sure that it gets done. And just before David died, he chose his son Solomon to be the next king. So here's what he said in 1 Kings 2. When David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon his son, saying, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man. Keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, his testimonies, as it's written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel." Now, David had started in the sheep pen, just praising God while he's watching to make sure the sheep are safe, and God called him. Solomon started in the palace as the favored prince. David chose him, and God honored it. And Solomon was hardly seated on the throne when, David, when God showed up in a dream and said to him, I am with you, follow me. You see, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He calls people into a relationship, offering them the greatest gift, friendship with himself. So the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, you've shown great steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart toward you, and you've kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you've made your servant king in place of David, my father, although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you've chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. What is Solomon feeling? Fear. He's afraid. He's watched the example of his father. He knows that his father has uh, had a relationship with God and that that has blessed him over and over and over. But now he's in the driver's seat and he's going, oh my goodness, how am I going to do this? And God says, what do you want? Ask me. And he says, verse 9, Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who's able to govern this, your great people? And it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said, Because you asked this for yourself, and you have not asked for long life or riches or life of your enemies, you've asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I will now do according to your word. I will give you a wise and discerning mind, and I'm also going to give you all those other things. Solomon asked God for wisdom, and God granted his request, but also gave him riches and honor and opportunity. And when David died, the house of God was still a tent, a tabernacle, 500 years old. It was temporary. It was portable. And Solomon was the one who had the opportunity to build a house for God. And so he sets out to build this house, and it took seven years. He constructed one of the wonders of the ancient world, seven years to build one temple. Of course, he didn't have to deal with the neighbors or the city of Dana Point. <laughs> so it'll take us a little longer than that. And we're not building a wonder of the world. We're just building functional buildings where people can study God's Word and they can grow in their faith and they can, can, they can mature in Christ and they can be used to make a difference for the, in this world for Jesus. God said, I will live in the house if you follow me with all your heart. 
says, Solomon, I'm impressed with the house that you built me. I don't really need a house. I don't live in human houses. But if you made it, I will live there if I can also live in your heart. If I don't live in your heart, if you don't follow my way, well, then I'll move out of the house. And sadly, God did. Because King Solomon had been afforded the greatest opportunity ever afforded anyone. Wealth, wisdom from God, peace, prosperity, opportunity, favor with neighbors. And he became famous for the temple he built for God and for his wisdom. But he drifted away from God. Wine, women, and song got the bed between him and God just a little bit at a time, just a little bit, just a little sacrifice, a little compromise, a little shift, and pretty soon God was not part of Solomon's thinking or his decision-making, and God kind of stepped back and stopped giving him advice and stopped being his constant companion. And it says in 1 Kings 11, when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord commanded. So God told him, I will tear the kingdom out of your hand. See, what Solomon needed was to listen to God's voice and to stay close to him and to choose to say, above all else, first and foremost, I'm going to give my heart to God. We too need that. We need to be right with God, to come to him in faith and to realize God still says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am with you always. So accept me into your life. Move forward on my plan. Put me in charge in your life. Make me your closest friend and your best counselor. You know, God made this so clear later when Jesus came into the world and offered himself. And he said, fear not, I am with you. Come follow me. And he offered himself as the greatest gift of love. We celebrate that today around the Lord's table. And if you know the Lord is your Savior, you are welcome here at his table. Let's pause and pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you for what you have accomplished on the cross. We thank you for what you accomplished by sharing yourself and by promising over and over and over, I am with you, I am with you, and that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that we can, we can look to you in all things. Now, I pray that as we gather around this table, we realize once again you are calling us. If our hearts have wandered as David's did, as Solomon's did, may we learn from David and let our hearts be broken and let your forgiveness flow into us. May we not be like Solomon who just went on his own way, listening to his own counsel. May we hear your voice and follow you. So I thank you that you are a Savior, that you came into this world as a baby, that you came to live and to die and to live again for us. May we truly let you live in and through us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.